Okay, Brentwood, I am so excited about today because it is Volunteer Sunday. We want you campaign. We're going to pause from the series that we've been in, Upon This Rock, where we've been talking about what it means to be the global historical church, who is the global historical church. And we're going to get to all of that again next week. Uh, But today, we're going to talk about specifically being the local church, what it means to be Brentwood Church. But first, we have, we have to go back to, okay, what is the big church? And what, what have we learned? Because that's going to help us really apply being the local church today. In the first week of the, of the series that we've been in, we, we realized to believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Man, that is the first step that we take in becoming the church. But then that leads to something else, or it's congruent with something else. And that is we worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So when we let God's spirit guide us to the truth, then we begin to understand and believe who Jesus claimed himself to be. And we begin to accept him as the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, if you're new to church or you're new as a Christian or you're not a Christian, first, I'm glad that you're here. But I want you to stay with me today in this content, because I think those two statements are, are going to make a little bit more sense as we go along. Right now, though, I want to talk about one of the keystone habits of a follower of Jesus Christ or someone who is a part of the church. In fact, this habit is one of my favorite things to teach on. It's one of my favorite things to lead Christians, whether they go to Brentwood Church or any other local church, into because it's one of the simplest actions to make us progressive and contagious as follower of Jesus Christ. What I mean by progressive, I mean moving forward. And contagious meaning, wow, there's something attractive about our life that other people. So Christians and non-Christians alike will look at our life and they will be motivated by our life because they have firsthand experience with this very practical habit in our life. What am I talking about? I'm talking about to serve and be served in the local church. For the next few minutes, I want to talk specifically to all the Christians who call Brentwood Church their spiritual family, their spiritual tribe, if you will, because we want you. We want you today to sign up and serve during our summer serving season. That's May to August. I'm going to talk about seasons in just a second. Um, What I'm going to share with you is going to be groundbreaking for the progression and the attractiveness of your faith. If, though, you are not a Christian here today, I want to address you again. You get to do a couple things with today's content. Either apply this truth to your personal life, serve and be served. And see how it changes you. Just just see what happens when you just start intentionally serving other people. Meeting physical needs in their life. And or you get to do this. You can sign up to serve here over the summer. You say, well, John, I may not believe everything you guys believe. In fact, I'm just curious about church right now. I'm just curious about Jesus. That's okay. We have areas where you can serve here. And you can get to know some people and you can get, get more and more acquainted with what it means to be a part of the church. And I hope that you'll take a step forward in your faith. But if you're a guest here today, I just want you to sit back 
I want you to hear this content and I want you to go, wow, that is a pretty amazing thing that this church wants to be about. And it's all in the Bible. So turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, either in your literal Bible or in your Bible application. Uh, Francis Chan, some of you know who he is. Uh, He is a popular and relevant writer and speaker today in what we would think of as the North American church. Uh, he, He handles some content in one of his work called You and Me Forever. And he talks about this documentary that he watched. I think it was on the Learning Channel or something. It was about the thousand pound man. And he goes on to describe this literal person, this this man who weighs almost a thousand pounds and how he once walked around and he once functioned like everybody else when he was just an overweight kid. But then as time passed, as he, as he, as he grew, he started to eat more and more. He started to eat more and more, and then he gained more and more weight, and two things eventually happened. His body now craves thousands of calories a day just to sustain his mammoth appetite. So he's got to have it, or he's going to go crazy, and he's going to get sick. And the second thing is, he is so overweight now that he cannot even move. In fact, today, he lives with his mother in a room and lies on a steel-fortified uh, fortified bed frame 24 hours, seven days a week, because he literally cannot move off of his bed. And so his mother has to serve him, has to care for him, and has to keep feeding him all of these calories all day long, 24 hours, seven days a week. Now, Chan's parallel in this work is pretty sobering, because he takes that and he compares it to Christian's in today's North American church. And he sort of says, think about people in church like the thousand pound man. When we first become a Christian, part of us can't wait to contribute and do something to grow and to build these people and this group of people, this assembly of people that have helped us get to Jesus. But then what happens? We unintentionally, we get bored we get busy, we get burned out, and then we get distracted. So what happens? We still come to church, but now only to consume and not to take action. And we consume more and more knowledge of the scriptures and more and more knowledge of God and his instructions and his wisdom, but we do less and less to actually apply it. And before long, we get stuck and we get very self-focused And in this great paradox, we start to require more and more knowledge and more and more care to sustain our own spiritual obesity. I mean, the, the paradox, you would think if you just kept taking in more and more knowledge and wisdom, that you would be more and more healthy by just taking it in. But in reality, if you and I don't start to apply it and do something with it, to meet the physical needs and the literal needs of people around us, we get sicker and sicker and we become less and less effective in helping to heal a broken world. Now, Brentwood Church, that's why we want you to serve and be served at this church. And we ask people to do it season after season after season. So what does it mean to serve and be served? What does, that, what does that mean in the context of Brentwood Church? 
Here's what it means. It's just like it sounds. We serve a group of people and we turn around and let that group of people serve us. Here's how it works at Brentwood. It works in two ways. First, in seasons. Seasons. Eight months and or four months. Twice a year, once in the fall and once in the spring, we ask every follower of Jesus Christ at this church to either serve eight months during the school year or four months in the summer. Sometimes people will serve for eight months in one area and they'll rotate and serve four months in the other area and then they'll rotate again in the fall and they'll do that. And then sometimes they'll do that for a few seasons and say, for the next four months or for the next eight months, I'm actually going to take a season of rest or I'm going to re-up. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. So we serve in seasons, but we also serve in Sunday services. We always have two services. We've had more than two services at some campuses at some times in our history, but we always have two, a first service or a second service, because we ask you to serve in one of those services during your commitment season so others can worship and be taught. And then we ask you to turn around and attend another service so they can be, or so that you can worship and be taught the same. So there is this mutual thing happening here. You're serving and you're growing up in that and you're staying spiritually fit because of that. But then you're letting yourself be served. You're letting yourself worship and be taught in a, in a service environment. Now, I want you to write this down because this is big. Serve and be served keeps Brentwood Christians spiritually fit. Serve and be served keeps Brentwood Christians spiritually fit. Some of you are arguing with that. You're like, no, 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 wait a minute, John. I don't, I don't Well, let's just get to the Bible, okay? Forget about what I say. Let's just, what does the Bible say? So we're going to talk about James. Here is a little context. This is a letter written by the half-brother of Jesus Christ himself. Why is he a half-brother? Many of you know it because they shared the same mother, but they had different fathers. Okay, if you don't know why they had different fathers, read the, um, the, the first couple chapters of the book of Luke. Okay, um, James became one of the first pastors in the newly forming New Testament church. And in his letter, he acknowledges some stuff. He acknowledges that Christians deal with the same doubts. They deal with the same struggles. They deal with the same character issues as anybody else who's not a Christian, except for the fact that the church is supposed to deal with these things. They're supposed to call these things out. They're supposed to then point to the power and the wisdom that can transform us into the love of God. And in this passage, James is talking about spiritual belief. He's talking about spiritual intentions versus spiritual action. So let's jump in verse 14 of James chapter 2. What good is it? He's asking a provocative question. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith or belief, or intentions, but has no deeds, has no actions. 
So the provocative question about faith in Christ and good works. Think about it. If the good news about Jesus is we don't have to work and we don't have to strive for God's favor and forgiveness. Because Jesus paid for all of that in his life and his death on a cross. Then why should we do anything? Like why, why do anything? Wouldn't a works-less or a action-less faith make sense? And yet James says, absolutely not. It makes no sense to, to have a works-less faith. And he begins to get more and more provocative in his questions. Look what he says as he goes further. Can such faith save them? An actionless faith. And when you hear that question, you go, whoa, 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 James. Are you implying what I think you're implying? Are you implying that Christians have to work for their salvation? How is that any different than any other world religion? How is that even good news? Well, the answer to that question is no. No, you you don't have to work for your salvation. That's, That's the good news. Jesus paid it all. But another way to ask James' question that gives us clarity is this. Is talking about being a Christian enough to grow and be effective as a Christian? Even further, are good intentions really a sign of a true faith? Think about it. Is moral intention enough for, for, for me to be a moral person, let's just take it outside the context of being a Christian. Just being a moral person. Is it like, well, I really want to help people and I really want to do good and I really don't want to do that that is harmful. And because my intention is that, well, no. No, it actually has to work out in the way we act or the way that we don't act towards certain things. I believe that every growing local church has to ask its members the same or a similar question. And that is this is consuming church services, consuming sermons, consuming Bible studies enough to progress your faith and make Jesus famous to others. And the answer to that is a resounding no. In fact, the apostle Paul, he sort of gets in on this in Ephesians chapter four, he's describing um, sort of Jesus' antidote to keep the church from being this obese, uh, motionless, stuck group of people. Well, look, look what he says, ver- verse 11. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. What, what did Christ give? Christ gave the church leadership. He, he has uh, affirmed and he has empowered leaders in the church to lead the church to do what? Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. To equip, what does it mean to equip? It means to prepare. It means to build. It it means to get ready. Why does this happen? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Did you catch that? There's a lot there. Church leaders equip. They train and they prepare people to work and serve the church systematically and strategically so that Christians will be united in faith and mature in Christ. United in faith and mature in Christ. That is so powerful, Brentwood Church. Write this down. To serve and be served builds unity and maturity in a local church. You, if, if you are serving and if you're acting and you're doing that seasonally, man, what does it do? It gets you fit and it keeps you from complaining about the wrong things. It keeps you focused on God's vision for you and God's vision for the church. I, I, want, you to, I want you to hear this. This is an email that I got um, about one of our volunteers. And, and, and this is what it says. It says, um, the, the writer says, she says, I needed to step out of the service for a moment last Sunday. When I returned, I knew Pastor John was getting close to wrapping up and I didn't want to be a disruption coming back into the auditorium. A greeter was already stationed at the door. So when he went to open it for me, I told him that he could wait until the music started. He paused and said, are you sure? To which I replied, yes, absolutely. And let him know I didn't want to be a distraction. He then, she says, in the kindest tone, looked at me and said, you know, you might be missing the exact thing God wants you to hear this morning. And this is what she says. She says, and it hit me so strongly that he was exactly right. So I allowed him to open the door. I walked back in just in time to be a part of a clearly spirit-led moment and was able to hear Pastor John's call for us to respond. And she concludes, I almost missed that moment. I almost missed what God had for me last Sunday. But because of a volunteer who not only took his role to stand and greet at the door seriously, but also took his role to help people get closer to Jesus seriously. I was able to experience a very tender moment with the Lord, and I am so incredibly grateful. Wow, isn't that powerful? That's powerful. A Brentwood volunteer simply stood at a door like he has for six months before that and maybe seasons before that and help lead another person towards progress in their faith. And that's why we want you. That's why we want you to build the unity and maturity of this church by simple and strategic acts of service. Mm, mm. Now, back to James chapter 2. James uses a hypothetical situation to prove this point. Look what he says in verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. So, physical needs. Verse 16. If someone says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, he says, what good is it? What good is it? Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, intention by itself, 
belief by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Is dead. It's worthless. What if we were, what if we were a church that just sang songs and preached about God's love, but we did nothing to serve each other's physical needs? Or, or what if we were a church that told our neighbors and our non-Christian friends that God loves them, but we did nothing to help their physical needs? James says, our Jesus talk and our church gatherings are powerless. It doesn't mean that God stopped loving us. It just means that he can do very little through us. Mm. Tweet that. Here it is. To serve and be served builds unity and maturity in a local church. Unity and maturity. The moment that a church loses sight of getting people strategically and systematically serving each other and the world outside, the unity and the maturity of that group of people begins to break down. The thousand pound man, consume, consume, consume. It doesn't make you healthier if you are not moving. You got to burn those calories off. Come on. That's why we believe in the value of serve and be served. Because it's a habit that keeps the Christians in this community fit. You serve a season and a service to meet your spiritual family's physical needs. So they are freed up to get spiritually fit. And then those same people turn around the next season or the next service and offer you the same help. Wow. There's, you know what? There's even a broader reach to serve and be served. And Jesus taught this in, in one of his very first sermons. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. Not your good intentions, your good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. Wow, write this down, write this down. To serve and be served helps others know and accept the gospel at greater capacities. To know and accept the gospel at greater capacities. Brentwood Church, serve and be served is bigger than just building unity and maturity among us. It also displays and it conveys the gospel to non-Christians. And it expands a church's capacity to reach more people with the gospel. And you know something? Throughout church history, one of the greatest methods of evangelism has always been Christians acting kindly and hospitably to other people, especially to strangers and even their worst critics and their enemies. You know, it's, it's, it's hard not to at least like and listen to someone who's, who's kind and hospitable to us. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You know, even if we can't stand somebody and we don't believe anything they, they believe or we have totally differing opinions, if they're kind and hospitable to us, there's something in us that just says, you know what, I at least, at least want to listen to you. I at least like you, even though... 
even though I may not agree with you. The same thing is true of the church, man. When a church is kind and hospitable and builds that into the culture and gets everybody on board with that, we raise our capacity to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That single habit is the legacy of Jesus' life to ours. And that's why our Sunday services focus just as much on our guests and newcomers, even non-Christians, as we do regular attendees who already follow Jesus. Think about it. I mean, think, just, just, let's just break this down. We could just ask people to park their own cars and figure out where to go, couldn't we? You know, just, hey, just park your own car. You know, you can figure it out. I mean, you're, you're, you're an American. You know what that is. But instead, what do we We prepare and we expect guests and we expect non-Christian visitors to come. So we have a parking team directing and welcoming everyone to this building and saying, you know what, this could be your first time and we want you to know it's a big deal that you're here. Uh, on the same hand, we, we could expect people to just open up the entrance doors themselves. I mean, come on, you, you got enough strength to open that door. We could expect them to find their own seats and just figure out who Brentwood is and how to get involved and how to get connected all on their own. I mean, just go to our website, you'll figure it out, right? Or, or ask somebody, you know, just, just go ask somebody. I mean, anybody, maybe they'll have the answer, maybe they won't. And you know something, that, that would be easy for us regulars. But instead, what do we do? We host everyone, guests and regulars, through our entire Sunday experience. We, we could just expect people to figure out what to do with their babies and their kids before they get to church. I mean, just figure it out. Get a babysitter or hold your baby. You know, hold your own baby. You know, get your kids some coloring books or an iPad, you know, so they can stay somewhat engaged in the adult service. But you know what we do instead? We create an entire world of children's programming with ready, willing, and trained volunteers who want to create the best hour of a kid's life and eternity. Wow. And you know something, we, we could just turn on a karaoke machine, you know, you know, we could, uh, we, we could sing some songs through that and we could sermonize for an hour through that. You know, can you hear me? And you know what? It wouldn't require a lot of setup or a lot of volunteers. It wouldn't even probably require a sound check. And we wouldn't have to unload trailers, you know, at portable sites. Uh, we wouldn't have to ask a bunch of people to come in at six in the morning to get everything ready. Uh, we wouldn't have to ask people to commit to serving seasons and get somewhat, uh, you know, somewhat trained on a piece of equipment and how to set it up and how to run it. If we just, you know, we just threw a mic and a karaoke machine. But you know what? Instead of doing that, we give our best work to create a compelling worship environment and a compelling, distraction-free-as-possible learning environment for both Christians and non-Christians alike. You get the point. We're strategic and we're intentional. But it would be a lot easier to just not be hospitable and to let everybody figure it out themselves. 
we wouldn't have to ask people to volunteer. We wouldn't have to create systems and seasons to value and empower those volunteers. We wouldn't have to do any of that. But here's what we'd miss. Here's what we'd miss. Two things. We'd miss building unity and maturity in the local church. We would. And we would miss others knowing and accepting the gospel at greater capacities. And and, and let me just say this. People can know and accept the gospel by you just being a good neighbor. We get that. We understand that. But if we want to raise the capacity to reach more people, we're better together putting our best foot forward in kindness and hospitality. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a church that says we want to reach as many people as possible. So let's do this together. And let's put our best work, our best hospitality, our best kindness, our best ability forward. So let's get practical. Right now, Host Teams is passing you out one of these cards. And while they're doing that, I want you to take a look at Brian's story because I think it'll inspire you today. My name is Brian Frost. I was born and raised here in Lynchburg, Virginia, born to two really loving parents. Uh, We were not ever really raised in church. At 12 years old, I, I used my first drugs, and from there, my life really spiraled downhill. Demon after demon of self-worth, of drug abuse, of um, arrogance, womanizing. We can go down the list of sins, and I fulfilled just about all of them. But I made a mess of my life, and that was really a repeated cycle for the next decade. Um, I tended to go from one city and, and destroy everything I have, run from my problems, go to the next place, destroy everything I have, and it just it continued on. My wife has always been part of the church. She still had always had that very good foundation of faith and who God was and who Jesus was. She, when I was in jail, started coming to Brentwood. Um, and she started lighting candles for me at the, at the table up here and, and asking people to pray for me and to get me to come. And um, the first day I came to Brentwood, which was March 2nd of last year, uh, when I pulled in the parking lot, uh, there was this tall fellow named Gary Thacker that uh, I turned my flashers on and they parked me over here on the side and he came and he was just pumped up full of energy and just, hey guys, how you doing? He was just loving on me. I came here with the mentality of like the first person that rolls their eyes at me, the first person that judges me, like I'm going to be able to say, I told you so, like that's the Christians that I want. I never got that. You know, I really didn't. Like I just got loved on from like the time my, my rubber hit the pavement out here. Like it was love, 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 love. You know, he walks me to the front door and then the greeters at the front door just smiling big and just welcoming me in. And then the ushers take me to my seat and they're, they're pumped up that I'm here and just, you know, get me to my seat. They're fired up about it. And, uh, and really what that did for me is that let me let my guard down. And by letting my guard down, that allowed me to hear the message that John gave that day. So the next week I come and it was uh, the same situation, just loved all the way from the parking lot into my seat. Um, John just gave this other powerful message and, you know, at the end of it, he encouraged anybody to come up and turn their life over to Jesus Christ. So uh, very bashfully, I um, leaned over into John's ear and he was like, yeah, what are you, you know, what are you here for? And I was, you know, I told him, I was like, I want to turn my life over to Christ. And uh, he was like, that's awesome, man. And uh, he was like, let's pray together. 
I really, I really felt it in my heart, like it was time for me to step up and start giving back. So within maybe 30 to 45 days, I was in Connect, and when we left, we knew what we wanted to do. Um, she wanted to serve on the coffee team. I wanted to serve on the parking team. And, uh, you know, the leadership here made that happen like it was nothing. Just like, boom, there you go. And immediately I just jumped right into it. And what was really cool is even the members of other teams of the host team or the coffee team or um, the greeting team, they all made a point to come up and love on me and, and just ask me who I was and encourage me. And I really look at Brentwood and, and the way I got connected is is, is like I found, I found my second family. Serving means one thing to me. Um, you know, when I came here, a broken, twisted just deprived soul. The people who served here didn't look at me like that. They looked at me as the as a person who needed to hear the message in here and the way that they could get me in here was just to love me from my car all the way into here. And that means a lot to me. That's meant a lot to me. And if I came in here without being loved or if I just walked in from the parking lot all the way to my seat, I might have never heard that message that day. And I might not be where I'm sitting right here today talking to you about it. Okay, that's a powerful story. And, and that's why we want you, yeah, we want you to take the card that's in your hand really, really serious. Now, I need everyone today to fill out this card. Unless, unless this is your first time or your second time being with us. And typically, here's what I do. I remind every Christian here that God's grace is endless and that, and that he will love you if you do not serve the church or anyone else in your life. And that is absolutely true because God's grace is endless. But I don't want to dilute today's call for you by just saying that. And here's why. Because it is because of God's love that we serve. It's everything. It's a big deal. It's, it's because we believe the gospel that we are compelled to serve other people and let them in turn serve us. So not serving is a reflection of how we understand the gospel itself. So if, if I simply say, you know, God, love, God loves you anyway, then you may miss something big here. And so I, I want to I move in deeper into that. Serving is a reflection of our understanding of God's love for us and for people. What we do is simply our response. How we act on that is our response to the goodness of God. And if you aren't responding in serving and being served, we want to pray with you today. We want to lead you to response today. Maybe this is be the first time, or maybe you've taken a, a long season of inactivity. You know, you started with, I'm just going to rest. And they, they tell me to rest, but man, you've been resting now for, for, for several seasons. Today, we want you to understand again that God is generous. He is forgiving. And he sent his son, Jesus, as a servant. Matthew 20 says, Jesus came to serve. He is our example. For the son of man did not come to be served, or to be, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is love itself. And as we look on him, we will respond by in turn serving other people. It will be our joy to serve because we understand the gospel itself. Now, that's why I never take it personal when people, Christians especially, depart 
from this church and and in departing, they send me an email or they they send me a rumor as to why they left, why they stopped attending. And, you know, say, well, it's because they were always asking me to serve. And, and no disrespect, and I don't want this to come across defensive because it's not. I, I, I would lose sleep as a leader of this church if this church wasn't helping you and preparing you to grow in a lifelong habit of local church, serve and be served. I mean, Ephesians 4 says it, you know, you know, Christ gave the church leadership to prepare people, to equip people to do this. So, by now, you've looked to this card and, and you, you choose one of these four responses and then, and then choose your top three places that you want to serve. First, circle I'm new. Not that you're a guest today, but meaning you're new to serving at Brownwood Church. You, you just came maybe in the last couple months or you came right in the middle of a serving season and you're like, I totally get everything. In fact, I've been waiting on the invitation. Just let us know that you're new to serving, meaning this would be your very first season of serving. And then follow the instructions on the rest of the card. Um, indicate that next response. If you're resting, just say, I'm resting. And what that means is you've already served a season or two and and over the summer, you're just going to rest so that you can get ready to serve again in the fall. Um, indicate if you're rotating. Just say, I'm rotating. Meaning, you know, I've been serving in this area um, for the last eight months. And this summer, I would really like to maybe join the tech team or I'd like to join host teams, whatever. Or say, I'm re-upping. And what that means is that you, you love serving in Brentwood Kids and you want to continue serving over the summer months in Brentwood Kids or in host teams or wherever else that you've been serving on Sunday morning. And then we're going to have you turn these in. So, as I said, unless you're a guest for the very first time today or this is your second Sunday here, I would love for every single person here to fill one of these out and turn them in today. All right? Let's stand and let's pray And let's get ready for unity and maturity and the gospel to be spread through this church. Mm. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just ask that you take over this moment and that it is your spirit that compels people to respond in serving. It is your spirit that compels people to rest for a season, but only to get ready for a new season trust you and it's because of your son jesus christ that we want your church to be great we ask this all in his name amen